Okay, so um, let's just uh, start by talking a little bit about um, what we want to see happen on our Saturday morning Bible study. <laughs> I know that it's been a certain um, way for uh, a long time, and, and this is sort of temporary, really, um, until Andy gets back in, in six months and then um, be back at uh, your, normal, your normal pursuit. Um, we're doing the 2-7 series, and I know that we sort of thrust that upon everyone, and... Um, some of you are going to be really excited to do it, and, and some aren't. And I know that the accountability with the Navigators 2.7 is, is pretty high. But um, let's, just, let's just kind of set that aside. And let, uh, because if, if you don't do it, don't feel like you can't come. And also, we don't want you to feel like you can't invite people who aren't uh, coming every week. What I'm going to try to do is uh, maybe focus all of our discussion on discipleship so that each, each time that we meet, there will be something there that we can all really relate to and really grab a hold of and really benefit from and be blessed by. Um, and then for those of you who do want to do the workbook, that's sort of what our foundation is going to be a little bit. We'll, we'll work through this together. But let's just, um, we'll, 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 we'll try to tone down the uh, accountability or, or, you know, if you don't do it or memorize your verse or something like that, don't feel like you can't, you can't come. Um, does anybody want to help me clarify that or, or uh, add any thoughts that, that you gentlemen had in addition to that? Does that pretty much sum it up? Yeah, no pressure. No, 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 no pressure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to collect your workbooks. Nobody's going to collect your workbooks and see if you did your homework. Um, but yeah, yeah. There, there was a professor that graded on a curve, and he got in an accident. So that's not a good thing. Um, we also graded on a roundabout. Yeah, that was even worse. So let's uh, let's let's talk a little bit then about um, discipleship, and, and let's keep this real informal. If if there's any questions that anybody has, um, Pastor Wayne left, so there's nobody to answer our questions anymore. But. But um, you could just feel free to, to ask them. Let's have a little, you know, dialogue. But what I'd like to do this morning is just review a little bit from last week. Then we're going to talk a little bit about discipleship. And as we do that, I want to sort of give um, everybody some insights into uh, how to study the Bible and how to properly interpret it. And that'll just be real quick, just kind of along as we're going. And we'll talk about the session two stuff and uh, some things that are in this. Because it really is a good resource for discipleship. Part of the um, challenge, I think, for us as Christian men is to have resources that we can pass into the lives of the next generation. And I know that there's a lot of Bible studies going on in this church. Uh, I'm still relatively new here, even though my son-in-law and daughter have been coming here for a long time, and my daughter Abby and son-in-law Joe have been coming here for quite a while. Um, we're still the new kids on the block, so we're kind of getting used to um, how, 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 how uh, everything is working, and it seems to be working really, really well. We are so excited. We were talking last night. This church is really kind of a throwback. You don't really find um, this kind of church in a lot of places anymore, where people just come and feel like a family, and um, where everybody sort of ministers together and to one another, and is, there's really a lot of love and a lot of joy and a lot of um, commitment to, to the Savior and to really serving Him, and to seeing disciples made. That's, that's kind of the key, right, to the Christian life. Jesus said, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth, right? Go, therefore, and make disciples. That's the only command in that whole, in that whole section. Go, therefore, and make disciples. 
doesn't mean that you go across the world, you can go across the street. But as you're going, wherever you are, whatever neighborhood you're at, whatever church you're at, whatever business you're pursuing, wherever you are, wherever God has you, we're always looking for people to get into this process of discipleship. And discipleship is not an end in itself. The purpose of discipleship is to bring us all together into a fellowship, right? If you take a look at 1 John right at the beginning, he says, these things I have written to you so that your fellowship, so that we may, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all part of a family. We're all part of a, a body. And in this process of discipleship, we're getting to know the Lord Jesus Christ more and more, but we're reaching out. To the community. We want to see people brought in, saved, baptized, and then Jesus said, teaching them all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So does that sound good? What do we remember from last week? How, if someone asked you, what is discipleship, um, or why is it important, what would you say? What is a disciple? Good. Someone who's being trained. Good. What else? Okay. Someone who's being mentored. Okay. Or, or if you're a disciple maker, then you're mentoring somebody else, right? And what do you mean by a mentor? What, what's a mentor? Good. Good. In fact, Jesus said, follow me. Something I discovered recently I thought was pretty exciting was um, we all want to be evangelists. We, we all, I mean, not evangelists, but we all know we should be sharing our faith. And I'm wondering, I was always wondering, where does the motivation, where does the power, where does that strength come from? Well, in Matthew 4.19, Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It's not something that you have to make yourself. As we follow Jesus Christ, as we become his disciple, then we will automatically, as he works in our lives, become fishers of men. He will make sure that that's what we become. And when we become a fisher of men and are leading people to the Lord, inviting people to church, inviting people to the men's Bible study, and they get saved, now the goal is to disciple them, right? So that they can become even more a part of our intimate, of, of, our, of our fellowship, which is what God is creating. Okay, so someone who is an example. Go ahead. Exactly. Yeah. And what verse might that come from? What did Jesus say? In, I am the way and the truth and the life. And so followers of the way, you hit the nail right on the head. In fact, that's probably an even better designation for what we're doing. There is a way that God has revealed to us through his word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There is a God. He is the creator. He has spoken to us. He has given us revelation. And as we follow that, <laughs> then we become followers of the way that God has established, right? Proverbs says there is a way which seems right to a man, but the end there is the way of death. This is the way that leads to life. And as we become followers of that, that's exactly what we're becoming is disciples. Perfect, perfect illustration. And, uh, and that's exactly what, what we're all about. 
Last week we said, I want to give you three principles now of um, what it means to be a disciple. One we looked at last week, John 8, 31 and 32. If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Okay? If we take a look at John chapter 15, they're all going to be in John. Somebody read verses 7 and 8 of John chapter 15. Okay, so you prove or so you become my disciples. In that verse 8, what does it say? How are we going to prove that we're disciples or followers of Jesus Christ or followers of the way? We're going to bear much fruit. We're going to bear much fruit. And we'll talk in days ahead about what that fruit is. But for now, let's just realize that as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, he wants us to be fruitful. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. Okay, so what Christ desires is an intimate relationship between his followers and himself because he is the very source of life. So number one, disciples abide in the Bible. Many men make books. This is the book that makes men. Number two, um, disciples of Jesus Christ bear much fruit. And um, the Bible's pretty clear as to what that fruit is. We'll get to that in a few weeks. But the third thing is, I want you to take a look. Somebody read chapter 13. We're going to camp out. Well, we're going to go back to 15 in a minute. But here's, here's what um, the third proof of disciples of Jesus Christ. Somebody read 34 and 35 of John chapter 13. What's the greatest evangelistic tool that you and I have? Love. Love Love for whom? What does he say here? First for God and then for one another. Isn't that amazing? In fact, Tertullian was the one who wrote um, about the early church. My, how they loved loved one another. How how they loved one another. Um, One another fellow believers or the world? So we're in this, in this passage, and we'll talk about this um, in two weeks, but he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Remember, he's talking to the 11 now. Judas is gone. And here's an interesting thing. He also writes, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So there is supposed to be love for our neighbor as ourselves. Those are the two biggest commandments, and we'll talk about that in a minute. To love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. But primarily, when God is talking here about love, he wants it to be directed toward the church family. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. When we recognize that love, and within the Trinity, there is perfect love. There is perfect unity. And that's exactly what God wants in his body and in his people that there is perfect harmony, that there's perfect unity. That doesn't mean that we're going to agree on everything, and that doesn't mean that we might not necessarily like each other. (laughs) He doesn't command us to like each other. You may be a very, um, you know, whatever. Um, not, not, Not prone to love people unless they are like you or unless they like you, yeah, or unless you like them. 
And some people, you know, like me, maybe we're just not very likable. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, actually, let me just present this to you. One of the goals of the Christian life is to become more and more like Jesus Christ. How do you know that you're becoming more and more like Jesus Christ? Your love for God, your love for brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me just give this to you as a thought. You're becoming more a person more and more that people like. You're becoming a likable person. Um, Jesus Christ was likable. People enjoyed being around him, except the Pharisees. The religious people hated him. The self-righteous people hated him. But the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the sinners, they couldn't get close enough to him. They wanted to be around him because he was kind, he was loving, he was gentle, he was winsome. He, was attract he wasn't physically attractive. In fact, physically, he was very unattractive. I mean, when you saw him, you just saw a normal Jewish person. That's the fascinating thing, that Jesus Christ would condescend to the point of becoming a man, and not one that people would just bow down to and say, you're so beautiful, you're so wonderful, you're, um, you know, what's the guy that played for Cleveland and now he's playing for L.A.? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Jesus wasn't that kind of person. He had no comely form or appearance that we would be attracted to him. In fact, he was one from whom men hid their face. But when he spoke, and when you got close to him, there was something unique, something attractive, something that was uncritical, non-judgmental, and that welcomed you into his presence. And he said, come here, let me give you rest. Let me do something that the self-righteous people don't. The self-righteous people are gonna reject you. I love you, I love you. And people responded to that, and, and the self-righteous people were really confused by that. He said, this man eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus said, wisdom is vindicated by all our children. And what that means is you just watch what happens to these people. I'll take an unrighteous, ungodly sinner who's been written off by the world, and I'll make him a trophy of grace. And that's exactly what these people understood when they got around Jesus Christ. Here's somebody who loves me. Here's somebody who accepts me. Here's somebody who isn't here to condemn me or to judge me but he simply wants to love me and transform my life for the glory of God. And that's how we should um, be with one another. We'll talk a little bit about more about that in a couple weeks, but um, it doesn't mean that we have everything in common and it doesn't mean that we're trying to win a popularity contest, but you're becoming more and more a likable person because that's who Jesus Christ is and that's what Jesus Christ is making you to be. It doesn't mean we're out buying everybody Big Macs so they'll like us. It doesn't mean we poll and have popularity contests, right? That was the disciples when they said, when they argued about who was going to be the greatest. But the person who is greatest among us is, our ser is a servant. And the person who's going to be first among us is going to be a slave. Okay, so the question I ask when I see a verse like this is, why did Jesus feel it necessary to give us a new commandment? Back in Leviticus 19.18, we already had the commandment, love your neighbor, but now Jesus is giving a new commandment. So think about that, and we'll talk about it in two weeks. Let me show you now over in chapter 15 along this same line. And here's something interesting, that in the first 12 chapters of the Gospel of John, Jesus mentions the word love, or John mentions the word love 12 times. Chapters 1 through 12, that's one time per chapter. Verses 13 to 21, he's going to mention the word love 44 times. 
So one of the things that you want to pay particular attention to when you're interpreting scripture is things that repeat, things that repeat, things that repeat, <laughs> right? Pete and repeat, we're in a boat, Pete fell out, who's left? Yeah, Pete and repeat, we're in a boat, Pete fell out, who's left? No, just kidding. Okay, um, let's take a look over at, uh, so 44 times in chapters 13 to 21. And so there is an emphasis. Now, I want to show you something in chapter 15. Look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. And then that says, somebody read verse 12. My commandment is this. Each love each other as I have loved you. And then verse 17. This is my command, love each other. Okay. So what we have formed here in Greek is called an inclusio. Inclusio. See how verse 12 and verse 17 almost say the same thing? These two are bookends. And the reason that the author will create an inclusio is so that he can highlight it is what he's saying, give a summary of what he's saying, but also draw attention. So when we see this command repeated, number one, we're saying, hey, this is something that's pretty important to the Lord Jesus Christ. But he repeats it in verse 17. And so everything that comes between verse 12 and verse 17 is going to relate to this topic. Right? Did you have your hand up? Okay. So 12 through 17. So let's see now. Okay. (laughs) I do that too. All right. Um, First of all, what word, does everybody know that there are different words for love in Greek? Okay. What, what, What are they? And eros. And there's one other one. Eros is not used in scripture. Okay, that comes very naturally. Um, But agape and phileo are the two that are primarily used. And agape is love, for God so agape the world. And what's the difference between that and phileo? Philadelphia. Adelphos is brother, brotherly love, city of brotherly love. So what might be the difference between agape and phileo? Good, good. So we would say that agape is more an act of the will. It's less an emotion and more of a choice. God commands us to agape one another. He doesn't command us to phileo one another. Um, Because agape oftentimes means meeting the needs of another person, even to the point of self-sacrifice, right? So it doesn't always feel good, but we do it out of obedience to the command of Christ, and because that's the kind of love that the Holy Spirit is building into us. Phileo comes naturally. Phileo is because we love one another because we have things in common. We like to go fishing. We like to go hunting. We like to eat. <laughs> so we're all phileo here for, um, you know, we, we love one another phileo. Um, but, but this is something different. This is something deeper. This is something where um, I, I love you because, not because you're worthy or not because I have any, anything in common with you, but because God has commanded it. And the best example of that, of course, is God, who demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So with that in mind, um, let's take a look here 
at verses 12 to 17. He said, this is my commandment. Here's something really fascinating about this word, my. Let me just um, go off on that for just a minute. 37 times in this gospel, Jesus says, my. I mean, the word my is used all in reference to Jesus. My father, my father's house, my love, my commandments, my joy, my peace, my word, my disciples, my friends. You kind of get the feeling after a while that Jesus Christ is pretty much the source of everything that is good in our lives. (laughs) It's like Jesus has all of these things and they belong to him, but he says, I want to bless all of you with it. (laughs) Here's my joy, I give it to you. Here's my peace, I give it to you. Here's my love, I give it to you. Here is my... um, my, my, my father, my father's house, my commandments, I give them all to you. You are my friends. Well, this is my commandment. This is my commandment. So if we were out into the world and we were thinking, what's the most important thing to God? Well, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbor as ourselves. But as far as the church family goes, Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Okay, we'll take a look at that in two weeks, Okay. We're going to see that because we would all say that Jesus Christ loved us how? By dying for us, by going to the cross. The problem with that is is that, and that's very true, and that's our supreme example. The problem with that is is that I'm probably not going to be called upon to go to the cross for you or for anybody else. I'm probably never going to be called upon to lay down my life. There's something more unique and there's something more special about, about just as I have loved you, and we'll see that in a couple weeks, and I won't say that again, Um, but make sure you come because I think you'll really be fascinated by it. It's something a little more practical and something that we meet with day by day. It's not a cross. It's not, you know, taking a bullet for somebody. It's it's something that, that I think you'll be very encouraged by. Now, let's take a look at this. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this than one lay down his life for his friends. So love, first of all, if this was a definition of the way that Jesus Christ wants us to love one another, um, he says, greater love has no one than this than one laid down his life for his friends. What does that mean? Oh my gosh, you just brought up an absolutely wonderful point. When Jesus said that you love me just as I have loved you, do you all understand that that's absolutely impossible? Good point. Apart from what? Apart from Jesus Christ, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from the Holy Spirit. When you're not spirit-filled, when you're kind of in sin and you don't want to confess and all that kind of stuff, this is going to be impossible. Don't even think about it because you can't do it. Um, you, re- you learn very quickly in the Christian life that we're called upon to do things that are superhuman, that are beyond our ability, that are beyond our strength, our power, our capacity. But that's what makes Christianity so exciting. God is transforming me to be something much more than I ever could be on my own so that I can bear fruit for the kingdom of God and glorify my Father who is in heaven, right? You can't do this on your own. (laughs) This is only for followers of Jesus Christ. This is only for those who are walking in intimate relationship with him, okay? So let's say we are spirit-filled. Let's say we are doing it. Greater love has known, and obviously he's pointing toward himself, right? But if we applied it to you and to me, There are going to be times, if I'm going to love you, when I'm going to have to do what? Let's just bring all of these down into one word. Starts with an S. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Good, sacrifice. Sacrifice what? Could be everything. My time. 
my money, resources. my resources. Some people have the gift of service, and this comes quite naturally. I'm very blessed because one of my son-in-laws, he's here this morning, I think has that gift. I just asked David to do anything. He just does it. He's just there. Boom. <laughs> I don't know if it's because he loves me or just because that's a spiritual gift. But, um, <laughs> but some people... <laughs> But this is sac- sacrifice. You know, I mean, how many, how many people do you know you could call up, call up <clears throat> at a moment's notice and say, hey, I need this, and they'd be there for you? Hopefully we all have somebody like that. Um, that they would drop everything and sacrifice everything. But you know what? We, we should be that way uh, all, all around the table, uh, all, all around the church family, that, that we're willing to sacrifice. Whatever I have is yours. <clears throat> The guy in dental school that sat next to me, it was really a struggle because he was the valedictorian and he was light years ahead of me. But everything I had belonged to him. Not by choice, he just took it. One day I just said, come on, everything that's yours is yours and everything that's mine is yours, how does that work? (laughs) (laughs) I shared the gospel. Yeah, you got to drop everything and go. You just have to. <laughs> That's good. Okay, what about verse 14? You are my friends if you do what I command you. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Love is self-sacrificing. And it's, let's start with an O. Obedient. It's obedient. You see, whenever we come into the place of full um, commitment to be obedient to the Word of God and to God Himself, then we are into a new realm of life, and that's really what regeneration and being born again it's all is is all about. Um, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. We're cleansed from sin but we have a new nature that's inclined toward obedience, right? We don't always measure up, but we do want to obey. And when we're all walking in obedience to Christ, then there's going to be a love. True or false? Sometimes God's love for us is conditional. (laughs) Well, take a look at chapter 14, verse 21. There's a guy named Don Car- D.A. Carson. He wrote a book called The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God. And he said that um, in, in a way, read, read verse 21. <laughs> Somebody read that. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and manifest myself in him. So what might we be saying here? Exactly. Yeah, Dave. So the condition is that we love God. <laughs> yeah, it sort of seems like um, when we first come to God, we know that He loves us. It's an unconditional love. We do not merit salvation. We do not merit the forgiveness of sin. But for those who want to go really, really deep in their understanding of who Jesus Christ is, 
He says, when you start to obey me, um, there's a verse in Psalm 119. It says, I will run the way of your commandments for you will enlarge my heart. What that means is that the more that we walk in obedience to God, the more that he opens our heart to understand who he is and what life is all about from his perspective. As we open up our hearts to God and to his word and allow his word to cleanse us and to purify us and to transform our thinking and to transform our behavior, all of a sudden we become these receptacles that God can bless, um, vessels in whom God can pour his life. Um, And he wants to pour his life in and through us. But there's a special blessing. He says, those who love me will be loved by my father and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Wait a minute, doesn't he disclose himself to everybody? Well, yeah, but have you ever noticed that some people just seem to have a greater understanding and a deeper intimacy with God than other people do? There's only, there's only one reason for that, obedience. So I've heard it says God loves everyone, even the sinners. So if a sinner doesn't love him, Well, it doesn't. See, this is talk. That's a good question. This is talking, I think, only to believers. This is talking to only those who have entered into a personal relationship with so Jesus Christ. Well. Yes. Yeah, he loves everybody. He loves the sinner. He loves a murderer. Can, do, we, do we know? Um, in fact, all of us. Before I got saved, I know I was a, a sinner. <laughs> and that's the whole point of the love of God is that Romans 5, 8 was really what got me saved, I think, along with the Spirit of God and a few hundred other things. But he says God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, we hated God. We were enemies of God. We were alienated from his grace, his mercy, and love. We wanted nothing to do with God. We wanted to run and hide like Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden and hope that God wouldn't find us. But by his grace, he reached out to us and wooed us with cords of love. It's his, his kindness that leads us to repentance, Romans 2, 4. And so um, God, now, when they, if they die <laughs> um, and they haven't repented and turned to faith in Jesus Christ, then they'll experience God's wrath. But today is a day of grace. Today is a day where the gospel is being preached and proclaimed, and all those who turn by grace through faith to Jesus Christ are saved. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is talking about those who have received him. Right, right. Yeah, you have to trust, you have to believe, you have to come to faith in Jesus Christ, and, um, and then that's how you're saved. But as many as received him, to them he gave you the right to become children of God. Does that make sense? So, yeah, I mean, God, God loves all, all sinners, and he loves them all equally. I mean, he's not happy with their sin, but he loves the sinner. He loves those who, um, you know, who are alive, created in his image. Christ died for the, for the ungodly. He died for, for everyone. But this is, this is talking about those who keep his commandments. The unbeliever can't keep his commandments. He's got to come to faith in Jesus Christ first. But he's talking about those who have believed in him. Um, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Christ acknowledges the devil a little bit, but you could have somebody, right, that is totally 
Satan's army. And is, is truly lost. No. Right. <laughs> well, I think that people are either um, belong to God or they belong to the evil one. Jesus said in John 8, you are of your father the devil and you want to do the deeds of your father the devil and he was a liar from the beginning. And in 2 Corinthians 4, it talks about the fact that Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Why don't they respond? Why don't they get saved? Well, they're in a world of hurt. Number one, they have a fleshly uh, blindness. There's a blindness because they're born in Adam, but there's also a satanic blindness. And God has to remove that blindness in order for somebody to see the beauty of the person of Jesus Christ and cause them to get saved. Yeah, there's a, there's a world of hurt that the unbeliever is in. Um, and get, Jesus said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. He's the one who saves us. He's the one who redeems us. He's the one that opens up our hearts and our minds to understand the truth of the gospel and the glory of Jesus Christ. And then we turn to him in faith. I think it's important, too, that you mentioned, like, you know, children of, of the evil one. You know, think of the story of Legion, right? I mean, there is no such thing as Right. In my interpretation of this, because even Legion, who was full of legions of demons, we are many, he said, still was redeemed through the power of Christ's word. Right. Exactly. And Paul said that he was the chief of sinners, and God brought him to repentance. Um, he did it in a very remarkable and unique, powerful way. But that's the way that God works in all of our lives. He comes into our lives and he removes the blindness. The blinders fall away. The scales are, are ripped apart from our, are ripped away from our heart. And all of a sudden we see that we are sinners. And we see the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we acknowledge a substitutionary death. That Jesus Christ took my place on the cross. That he was dead, buried, and that he rose again the third day. And now by grace through faith, everybody that believes in him is saved. Right? you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Right? Yeah. Another assurance uh, in Ezekiel 33, 11, Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? Yeah. Amen. Yeah, it's all, it's all through Scripture. Adam and Eve went and hid. God said, Adam, where are you? God knew where he was. He wanted Adam to know where Adam was. Like, Adam, how have you, how have you gotten to where you're at? Yeah, I mean, that's probably a good question for all of us to ask that every once in a while. I ask that all the time. Where the heck did I get here? Um, and hopefully we're in the center of God's will, his will and we're, we're right where God has, has brought us. Okay, so um, obedience. Look at verse 15. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. For all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So love is sacrificial. Love is obedient. What can we say here? Love is... Let's say love is... 15. So we're in 15, 15 now. We're looking at this... Sorry. Okay, good. Transparent. Um, boy, that's a good word. I was thinking um, revelatory. When you, when you love somebody, you want to share yourself with them. And that's the heart of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. What that means is that God delights in revealing and manifesting himself to us. 
isn't it great for us all to be, um, I mean, to have somebody that we're close enough to, maybe a group of men like we have this morning, um, with whom we can just share our lives. Say, hey, here's what's going on in my life. Here's what I'm struggling with. Here's, my, here, here, here's some of my victories that I've had. Here's some of my defeats. Do you have people that you can go to and confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed without them judging you or, 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 or putting it on their Facebook page the next day? <laughs> men, men that you can trust. Um, I, I have a friend that I know if my name comes up in any conversation, he's going to speak positively about me. That's just who he is. And that's just the kind of relationship that we have. If your name ever comes up in the glories of heaven, and it does, Satan is the one who is attacking you, right? It says Satan is the one who uh, is condemning us. Satan is the one who goes before the throne of God, according to Revelation 12, and he's condemning us. He's pointing out errors and faults and sins um, up there all the time about you. But Jesus just says, yep, that's right. In fact, I know him better than you do. I know his weaknesses and his sins far better than you do. But guess what? He's saved. He's a child of God, and he's forgiven. And remember, um, that's where patience comes in. Love is patient. That means God's not finished with me yet. <laughs> I got a ways to go, and you do too. But when we love one another, um, we can accept each other right where we're at and be so thankful that, that we're not what we used to be. We're not what we're going to be when, when, when we're in glory, but we're certainly not what we're used to be. And all of us are on this road together in a community, a fellowship of believers, encouraging each other, stimulating one another to love and good deeds praying for one another. Um, if I see something that you do that is really cool and successful, I rejoice. I say, boy, keep going. That's wonderful. But here's the deal. I can't wait to hear Jesus Christ say to me, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But I'll tell you something. I'd be even more excited to hear him say that to you. I can't wait to see... Um, the man in our discipleship group or our Bible study or whatever, so excited about the Bible, so excited about Jesus Christ and sharing their faith and helping others grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that when we're all standing before the judgment seat of Christ, he says to each one of you, well done, now good and faithful servant. Boy, I'll be clapping. And I hope you're close to the Lord, but I'm going to be far closer than you. I'm going to go jump up into his arms. And it's just going to be like Santa Claus. You guys are going to have to be in line for a while. But boy, when you guys get your turn, and that's not how it's going to be at all. <laughs> it's like we're all going to be intimately related and in fellowship with Jesus Christ for all eternity. He's God. He can have an intimate relationship and communication with an infinite number of people at the same time. I can't. I can focus on one person. If you've got to raise your hand, I've got to focus here, I've got to focus here. So do you. If you have kids or grandkids or whatever, you can only focus on one at a time. Jesus Christ, you know, it's going to be there. We're going to be there with a whole lot of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. But it's going to be also like we're the only one there. It's like you and Jesus, just fixing your eyes on him, and he's talking to you and telling you how much he loves you and what a wonderful saint you've been and how great it is to have you in heaven. I can't wait, can you? The Sunday school class and uh, teacher said to the young people, how many of you guys want to go to heaven? All the kids raised their hand except for one boy in the back said, little Johnny, don't you want to go to heaven? And she said, well, yeah, sure I do, but I thought you were taking up a load right now. <laughs> we want to go to heaven. God created this heaven and earth in seven days, and he's been working on my mansion in glory for 2,000 years. I can't wait to see that place. Heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. I want to see my Savior's face. 
I want to see him face to face. Now we see in a mirror dimly. I want to see him face to face. And I want, uh, I, I want him to say to every one of you, well done, well done. It's not how you're going to have your steak cooked. That's your ministry here on earth. Well done, good and faithful servant. Um, so it's transparent. I love that word. Uh, Bodie, is that your first name? Uh, Brody. Brody. Brody, like John. Were you, were you named after John Brody? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> my father would have Good for you. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> when people ask me how to spell my name. Now, I'm just glad my parents named me Dave because that's what everybody calls me. Okay, let's look at uh, verse 16. <laughs> so what do we have? We have uh, sacrifice, obedience, transparency. I love that. Or revelatory. It enjoys talking and communicating and getting to know people. Verse 16 is really fascinating too. He says, you did not choose me. The problem is, is that we always think that we did. From our perspective, it seems like we chose God. Somebody shared the gospel with us. We were bright. We were PhDs spiritually. And we said, yeah, that's it. That's for me. But behind the scenes, God was working to open up your heart right? Jesus said to Peter, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who was in heaven, God the Father, your heavenly Father, at a point in time, opened your heart so that you could say to Jesus Christ, my Savior, (laughs) my Lord and my God, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. That verse used to just bother me. It's bothered me for my whole life. Well, especially the part where he says, whatever you ask of the Father in my name. Here, here's, let me just give you the quick answer. It's in the context of loving one another. It doesn't mean that I can um, buy a yacht, that God's going to give me a yacht to sail to Hawaii and then to wherever and then to wherever, although that might be what I might ask him. That's not the context. I can't claim this promise there. But I can in a group of men that I love and that I'm committed to serving and that I'm committed to their growth and their spiritual maturity. Whatever you ask. um, In fact, you know what my prayer was? Share it with you. Don't tell anybody outside of this room. Nobody's here but us. I said, God, I would really like a group of men that I could teach discipleship. Here we are. It's only going to last for six months. but That's okay. Uh, I can't wait to hear Andy um, teach and, and preach. I'm, looking, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to all the Bible studies and all the wonderful things that God is doing here. But that was my prayer. God, you know what I would really like? I would love a group of men that I could communicate the process of discipleship to. Bingo! Then it just happened. You know, does it just happen? Well, I don't know. I think there's a lot of things happening that make it happen. But here we are. What's the one word that we would put here? I would say in verse 16, love always takes the initiative initiative love does not wait for somebody to come and say i need help um 
There was a woman a couple weeks ago in our church who said, would you please call my husband? He's been saved for a year, and this discipleship program would be fantastic for him. So I'm thinking, ah, we made the announcement. He can come if he wants to. If he doesn't, no, that's not it. Love takes the initiative. Got on the phone. Hey, we're having this discipleship program. Love you to come. I think you'd really enjoy it. He wasn't able to make it this weekend, but maybe in two weeks he'll be here. You guys do the same thing. Um, my wife told you that? <laughs> no one's wife. <laughs> I have this friend who's a, uh, who's a uh, dermatologist. He's a physician, incredibly brilliant guy. His wife died. His sons are ostracized, uh, alienated from him. I said, I've got to take the initiative here. So I called him up, went to breakfast with him, shared the gospel. Two weeks later, I said, I've got to meet with that guy again, see how he's doing. I'm sharing with him faith. I said, man, you have come a long way. You're ready to pray and receive Christ as your Savior. He said, I already did that. <laughs> Sometimes you just need to take the initiative with somebody and reach out to them and to say, um, here, here, here's something that we're doing. We want you to be a part of it. Welcome. Thank you. All right. <laughs> Grab a cup of coffee. Thank you. Come get it. Okay, so anyway... God took the initiative with you. God didn't sit around and wait for you to, to get interested and excited about him. That would never happen. It just wouldn't. In fact, if, if, if somebody is seeking God, if you're seeking God, it's not you're seeking God, it's he's drawing you, right? Romans 3 says, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. You know what that word none means? It means none. Nobody. Nobody seeks for God unless God draws them to him, right? Even in John chapter 1, Jesus sought out Andrew, then Andrew sought out Peter, and then Jesus sought out Philip, and Philip went and got Nathaniel. But all along, it's God drawing people into his net, drawing his fish into, into, his, into his net. Love takes the initiative. So what do we have here within this inclusio between John 15, verses 12 and 17? Number one... If we're going to obey Christ's commandment that we love one another just as I have loved you, um, that was an excellent point that was brought up, that this is impossible. And, and I hope that as you're reading Scripture, you find a lot of these things. I do. Where I say, God, I can't do that. I can't do it. And he said, that's right where I want you. That's right where I want you. Because if you ever feel like you're adequate for these things, if you ever feel like you can do these things in your own strength, sayonara, good luck. <laughs> it's not going to happen. We have to come to God and realize that we need his strength, his power, his ability, his, his resources. We just appropriate them. We receive them. The Holy Spirit comes into our life and he provides the power to, um, to live the Christian life and then to bear fruit for the glory of God. Because if you could do it yourself, you'd get the glory. You could pat yourself on the back and say, look what I did. Uh-uh. Paul says, who's adequate for these things? If Paul ain't adequate for him, we probably aren't either. And Jesus, in fact, said that apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay. It's um, sacrificial. It's because we're walking in obedience to Christ and we want to please him. It's because we um, are transparent and we want to re uh, be revelatory and reveal um, just like in John 1, come and see. We can say that to people. Come and see. Listen to what God is saying. Listen to what God has done. Come on in and just enjoy it. Uh, it takes the initiative, and then it follows the command of Jesus Christ. 
Okay, so that's kind of our talk on discipleship this morning. Um, that's, a, that's a fun thing. And then once we do that, we prove to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And um, it says that all the world will know. That's our greatest evangelistic tool. That's our greatest evangelistic power. When the world sees that, um, again, it doesn't mean that we agree on everything. It doesn't mean that, that, uh, that we all have to root for the same football team or vote for the same party or do any of those things. But when it comes to the really important things, right? I mean, I'm not saying football is not important. Don't get me wrong. Niners are playing Kansas City tomorrow, and they're going to get whooped. That's a bad thing. But we shall see. We shall see. They're coming around. They're coming around. Who thought they would beat uh, Detroit? They're looking good. Um, yeah, the Rams are going to win the Super Bowl this year anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um, all right. Let's take a look then at our workbook. We've got 15 minutes to go. Um, how many people did, did their work in their workbook? Which chapter, one or two? Chapter one, okay, chapter one. I picked the book up the other day. Okay. Okay, good. Well, let's, let's, let's just turn, just for fun, let's turn to page uh, 29, because all this is is a just review of what we've just read in um, session one, beginning, where it calls beginning with Christ explanation. Now, the five topics and references of the memory verses, by the way, who memorized their verses in 1 John 5? All right, who wants to say them? Dave, go ahead. Good. Amen. Good. Anybody else want to say that? Good. Good. Excellent. Okay. Anybody else? Al? <laughs> That's how I used to memorize. <laughs> okay. Well, good. Um, keep, keep, keep working on that. Psalm 119 is such a, such a good verse. Let's say we're all young men here. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure? Right, by taking heed according to thy word. With all my heart I have sought thee, do not let me wander from your commandments. Thy word I have treasured in my heart, that I may not sin against you. Right? Okay, so we want to treasure God's word in our heart. And there's just something unique that happens when you memorize scripture. Um, everybody says, I can't memorize and I'm not good at it. I think God can make you good at it because he, he delights in us hiding his word um, in our hearts. And that's how we abide in it. So that when you're driving or going to sleep or waking up, those are your last thoughts of the day or your first thoughts of the morning. Um, just, uh, okay, so that, that's the assurance of salvation. That's the topic. Um, why is the assurance of salvation so important? Because the world always tells you otherwise. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. It's not just people, though. It's the enemy that comes in for me in my mind and says, you know, you're not saved. You know, you're trying to prove your salvation because of all this work that you're doing. And, and that's, for me, where it's real spiritual about. It's, uh, so if I don't have this assurance, like, if I do not know, I mean, without, without 100%, no, no shadow, no doubt at all that I am saved, then everything I'm doing is just 
That's right. Do you, do you ever find when you're out in the world and talking about your faith and talking about assurance of salvation that people kind of take offense to that? Mm-hmm. Why? Why do you think they do? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. All the times well, that's they do. The law, doing what the law is supposed to do, so we cannot discount the word of the law for those who are unaware of the law. The law is going to do what the law is created to do, which is to convict and to yeah. bring people to the recognition. So me being saved and knowing that this law that these people don't even know about that they're falling under, how much more merciful and gracious should I be <clears> than to them as I was mercifully and gracious given to me right. to lead them to the cross, not to them outside of liberty. Yeah, here's an interesting <laughs> Going back to what we said before, though, if you're really the light, all these people, you know, the, the sinners, the prostitutes, right? that you said at the beginning of the study, all right, we're attracted and pulled into Jesus. Right. Right? So, you know, you, so I guess the question is, if we're really looking like Christ, okay, should the world be turned off by us, or should they not be attracted to us? That's an excellent point. What's the, what's, what, what, how would you answer that? Right. Okay? But the common person, okay, there was something about him that he he attracted them, right? right. I mean, you know, the, the person just wanted to touch his robe kind mm-hmm. of thing, right? So Boy, that's an excellent question. You know, I would mm-hmm. go ahead. Yeah. Absolutely. Let me answer. Let me try to. Oh, go ahead, Al. That's Jay's question. He goes, if um, if you uh, exhibit or exude Jesus in your life, uh, and what do people say? I put it this way: you are the light of the world. It doesn't matter how bright that light is in a dark, dark, perverse world. Huh. Uh, I went, touched it once. It looked like 
flashed in the ceiling. Everybody just came to where the, that watch the light was. So I think that's a good point. So I, so I, I think that's a good, that's a good barometer for us. Um, when there are people that are around us, do they feel judged who aren't saved and, and, and who are obviously in sin? Do they feel judged? Do they feel condemned? Or, um, and, and so therefore feel rejected by us? Or are they drawn to us because we know that they know that we have a, that, that we have a message? So, so we want people, if people are going to reject us, Jesus said the world is going to hate you because it hated me before it hated you. But, but we want them to hate the message. We want them to hate Jesus Christ if that's what they choose to do, not because we're obnoxious or not because we're judgmental or critical or whatever. We want to continue to exude the love of God, but at the same time balance that with a sense of right and wrong. I mean, we, we can't just be mamby-pamby and pieces of milk toast that say, whatever feels good, do it. Um, God does have a righteous standard, and when you break that, that's called sin, right? I mean, you can't have the gospel without talking about sin. So, um, and, and the best place to go with someone who is not saved is the cross, right? Paul said, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so when we're sharing, we want them to understand the truth, understand the gospel message. And if they don't want that, they don't want it because of the message. Paul said, but even if our message is rejected, even uh, uh, the, the, the preaching of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So um, I, I think the key is to become so much like Jesus that people respond to us the way that Jesus did. The self-righteous are going to hate us because they hated him. The sinners are going to love us because we're welcoming and, and we're not judgmental or critical. Um, and then getting back to, uh, what is your first name? Uh, Terry. Terry? Terry. Um, assurance is so important. That's where our Christian life begins. There was one person, though, um, who was speaking negatively in a um, college setting um, with people who were uh, studying comparative religions, and he said he just couldn't stand fundamentals because fundamentals, fundamentalists, people who, who believe the Bible, who believe the gospel, are certain that they're going to heaven. And he said, how can they be certain of going to heaven if the judgment seat, if, if, if the great white throne, if God's judgment hasn't already taken place? That's where you find out whether you're going to heaven or not. That's not true. Is he, is he right? Well, in one sense, yes. In another sense, no. For us, the judgment has already taken place. It took place at the cross. That's where my sins were judged. And now by believing in him, I am absolutely certain that Jesus Christ is my substitute, that he is not only the savior of the world, but he's my savior. And the promise that he's given me is a promise that he will never take back. I've been born again into the family of God. I can't be unborn and thrown out from the family of God. And he will never use that um, to motivate me to obedience by saying, like maybe a husband might say to his wife, if you don't get with it, I'm going to divorce you. Or say to the kids, if you don't get with it, we're throwing you out. It doesn't work. What are you going to say? It's, to me, it's the most important issue in life is where you, are you going to be with the Lord forever or not? Right. And, and he came to die on the cross Yes. And that was living a perfect life and dying on the cross is the most important thing that Jesus did, I think. Well, somebody's got a different interpretation. We all agree with that? Mm -hmm. That the cross of Jesus Christ is kind of the focal point of history? 
<laughs> that the glory of God was manifest there most perfectly. What do we see there? We see the love of God, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the compassion of God, the wrath of God. We see everything in the person of Jesus Christ as he's hanging suspended between heaven and earth. And that's where eternal destiny is fixed. Who do you say that I am? That's the most important question that you could ask. If you die not accepting Jesus said, unless you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. What that means with an eternal debt to pay for your sins. So either somebody has to pay for sins, somebody has to die. Either Jesus Christ as your substitute or the sinner has to pay for it. Right, sin. right. That means everyone. But it also, the word also says, many are called, few are chosen. Uh, in James it says, faith without works is dead. So there has to be a response to the action, the action that Jesus died on the cross. If we don't respond to that, the, that person does not have salvation. So there has to be the issue with free will or choice, there has to be a response from, uh, from what was, was uh, done on, on the cross, the atonement of the sin, to, uh, to give us that assurance of salvation. Absolutely. It's not, it's not an automatic thing or else everyone would be saved. And obviously we know that that's not true. You know, Jacob I love, Esau I hated. Right. Yeah. No, you're 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 exactly right. There has to be a response. When I'm sharing my faith with people and talking to them about the gospel, I would say, you know what? When I um, asked my wife to marry me, I needed a response. Right? It took her three days. I had to convince her for three days that I was uh, marriage material. <laughs> but she finally came around. I said, God said to you, I love you at the cross. There needs to come a point where you say back to him, I love and receive you. But as many as received him, to those who believe in him, to them he gave eternal life.